it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. Hey, just a language warning for this episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. If you're a spiritual professional and have been building your skills and knowledge for years and feel ready to share this wisdom with the world, then The Afterlight Institute wants to work with you. If you want to create your very own online course without having to worry and stress about the technology and the marketing, then you are strongly urged to apply. All the details can be found at theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grace here and welcome to the show. I am joined today by Hannah, the suburban witch, who is a professional tarot reader and natal astrologer and eclectic witch located in Australia. Hannah's goal is to make witchcraft and alternative spirituality fun, informative, and accessible to all. She blogs about witchcraft and astrology with pop culture references to fandoms such as Disney and Harry Potter. She hosts the podcast Witch Talks, interviewing key witches in the community. She's got a thriving YouTube channel with content from spell crafting, tarot tutorials, witchcraft basics, and even details her own journey from Pentecostal Christian to proud witch. Some tells me there is a story there. I will uncover it. Hannah is joining me today to talk about all things witchy. We're going to be talking about Tassio, Tassiomancy, Tassiography, and how to create a successful spell. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully, did I say that right? Tassiomancy? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, perfect. And thank you very much for having me. So listen, you're only the second witch that I've had on the show. And uh, I learned that you asked that I'm supposed to say something like, so when did you first come out of the witch closet? But before we kind of find out about that story, I am really fascinated to find out about how your spiritual journey began. So did that sort of start off with your, you know, maybe your Pentecostal Christian upbringing? Or was that something that you found on your own? Definitely. So it's it's probably all woven together. They're basically the same story, I would say. Uh, my spiritual journey, I was brought up in the Pentecostal church. My family raised me in the Pentecostal church. We, we attended church four times a week. It was quite intense. Wow. We had prayer group meetings. I went to a Christian school. It was a very small Christian school. And basically everyone I knew at church, I knew at school. And it was a very close-knit, close-minded community. Mm. So fast forward to uh, my teenage years, my mid-teens, and my parents ended up divorcing. And because of this, my mother was kicked out of the church. She was told that, you know, it's uh, you're living in sin by not being with your husband, so you need to go. Now, me being a teenage girl, I decided to go with my mother. And of course, that meant I got kicked out of the church as well, which meant everyone at school was told, you're not allowed to speak to Hannah anymore. Uh, Don't talk to her. Don't fraternize with her. They're living in sin. And it was absolutely horrible. I'm sure you can imagine when you're a teenager, you're, uh, you know, everything is very raw and emotional anyway. And then to lose your entire community, everything, you know, just your parents and family life is falling apart. It was very, very difficult. So prior to that happening, I had 
been very spiritually active within the church. And I often say the Pentecostal church is probably one of the most psychically active churches that's out there. They just use different words for things. Mm -hmm. So in the New Age spiritual community or the witchcraft community and all of that, Obviously, we know about things like clairvoyance, right? That's clear seeing, that's using your psychic senses, receiving visions, potentially dreams and being able to interpret them. Now, when I was in the church, I had the gift of prophecy. It's the same thing. I received visions, I would receive dreams and I could interpret dreams as well. There are lots of people who can speak in tongues in the new age community. This is often referred to as light language. I think it's the exact same thing, just a different name for it. So there's lots of spiritually psychic active things happening in the church, tons of other different spiritual gifts, and everyone's very open to them. But if I was to say, oh, that's a psychic thing, oh, that would have been a big no-no. <laughs> so yeah, it was an interesting upbringing. Yeah, so I was very much into, I guess, into the spiritual side of things, into my religion. It was a really, really big part of who I was. And then suddenly it was all ripped away. Mm -hmm. And I really went off the opposite end of, no, none of that is for me. I, I can't even think about that at the moment. That was my healing time coming back to myself. Throughout all of this, obviously, the church was very closed-minded in terms of even watching films. I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter growing up or read that it was banned at my school it was not in my school library uh we were not allowed to when I was a kid watch Snow White because there was an evil witch in it like there was witches were real we knew about witches we weren't allowed to take in anything like that wow. so even Sabrina the Teenage Witch the really corny 90s version was absolutely banned in our household I, however, was so drawn to these things and I remember thinking, I know I shouldn't be watching them, but if my parents were not home at the time, that was the first thing I was switching on. I remember, you know, hiding away in my friend's under their bed and reading their Goosebumps books and trying to find anything that was a little bit witchy, spooky, anything like that. And I actually tried my first spell when I was probably about 11 or 12 in, it must have been a Dolly magazine, which is an Australian teen girl magazine. Don't know how I got my hands on it, but there was something in there and I was trying this little spell in my bedroom. And I remember feeling so incredibly guilty and thrilled at the same time. <laughs> so uh, after stepping away from it all and being out of the church, I was almost allowed to explore all these things. I read all of the Harry Potter books and I read all these other books and then mm -hmm. things just started to open up for me. And as I got to my late teens, I ended up traveling the world. I went and lived in Canada for a couple of years and met my husband there. And then I went and traveled by myself throughout the United States. Now, I had always been drawn to Louisiana for whatever reason. This strange girl from Melbourne in Australia always just wanted to go to Louisiana. In high school, we were introduced to a dish called a Cajun fish dish. It was Cajun blackened fish. I cooked that every weekend as soon as I discovered it because it just felt like home to me. There was something oh, about these spices and everything that was set there. Any, uh, there's a lot of books by Anne Rice that are set in New Orleans. There is the True Blood series. That was a, a major hyperfixation for me for a very long time. Absolutely obsessed. So of course I had to go to Louisiana and I ended up going there and working on a farm, on a goat farm for a couple of months. And I had some crazy experiences in the, uh, I'm going to say entity space. So I had uh, an encounter with an entity 
did not feel good, did not feel nice. And that was the first time I encountered a witch, a real witch who came to help and cleanse and help remove this from me. Uh, and then had to deal with some voodoo practitioners to figure out what went wrong and why it was attached and what was happening. And things just started to really open up from there. I actually accredit that to being part of my, my own personal spiritual awakening rather than what was happening as a kid and then closing up. This was cracking me back open. Mm. After that, I allowed myself a little bit. I got a, I got a, a tarot reading when I was in Louisiana, didn't tell anyone, was mortified that they would all judge me, uh, thought that a demon was going to pop out or a portal to hell was going to open up, but none of that happened. So gradually I did these little things little by little and slowly but surely it started to feel like home. And then after coming back to Australia, I was often drawn to tea. I often say tea was the first thing that I really got into in terms of witchcraft and practicing witchcraft. So at my corporate job that I was working at, as soon as anybody had the sniffles or an upset stomach, I'd rush off and say, nope, I've got one of those teas in my desk. Come back, I'll come back in a minute and I'll brew you up something. And suddenly there'd be a steaming hot mug of licorice tea if they had a sore throat or a really nice ginger and lemon if they had a sore tummy. And I never looked these things up. I just knew what they were supposed to be used for. And they'd always say, oh, you always know what to bring. And you've always got the right teas for everything. Oh, you're such a you know great witchy tea person. I was like, oh. I like that. So then I started uh, growing my own herbs and making my own teas. And for some reason, one day just decided, oh, I could read tea leaves. And that was my first ever try at divination with tea leaves. So I did what I call tassiomancy. So that's divining by teas in the teacup. And I accidentally predicted the birth of my daughter. I didn't realize at the time, and I'm very thankful that I actually kept a journal from the get-go. I thought, I'll write this all down and see what happens. And it was only in hindsight that I went, oh my goodness, that's predicting the birth of our, that's, the, that's our daughter, oh my goodness. And we didn't expect her when she came. So that was really exciting to see. And that gave a lot of validation to continue on and learning more and opening things up. So I guess that's sort of how it, began and how it started. There's so much to unpack within that. I know there's like a lot of tangents I could go on. <clears throat> Hopefully our listener at home is happy with the tangent that I'm choosing. So I guess one of the things that I do want to ask you about before we do get into, you know, Tessiomancy, because I'm really fascinated by that subject myself and maybe a little bit about some of your essential herbs and some of the things that you can't live without. But I guess one of the things that I'm curious about is how you sort of worked through, I mean, I feel that a lot of spiritual people have gone through sort of a dark night of the soul to come out the other side. You talked about cracking yourself open and kind of stepping into that. So how was it that you kind of were able to sort of step into that power and that, and take that courageous step forward to be, to become who you truly are and to be, to be out about it in a way. I mean, I would imagine that, like you said, sort of when you were telling the story about being a kid where you were excited about doing your spell, but you also felt guilty. I mean, did you have to kind of work through imposter syndrome or work through some feelings of guilt? Did you have to kind of decide that you weren't going to care or worry about other people's opinions? What was sort of your process within that? Or was it just something easy and you were fully able to walk in and step into who you are? Definitely wasn't easy and something I'm still working on even to this day. So yeah. just to put it in perspective, even just recently, 
none of my business and my witchy side is on my personal Instagram or Facebook account. Absolutely zero. And the reason for that was I have a lot of friends that are still in the church. I have a lot of family friends that I am still in contact with, the ones that didn't cut us out, or some of them did cut us out and they've welcomed, welcomed me back later on. It was It's a little bit confusing. But I didn't want to put some things up there because I thought it would really hurt them rather than realizing how it would hurt me. And it's only recently my husband actually noticed. He said, you posted something on your normal one. Did you, did you know you did that? And I said, you know what? I did. And I did that on purpose because that way it takes some of that fear away of, oh, I've accidentally posted it to the wrong account and they're going to find out. And it's put it back to, you know what, if they're uncomfortable with it, that's on them. I'm past that now. And that has taken me so long that I am almost out of the church for as long as I was in it, almost. Mm. And it's taken that entire amount of time, which has been a very long time to, to figure out that part of it. And it's still something I'm working on, but it's just practice. And at first it was very, very, very difficult. And even just coming out and saying, which whilst I really liked the term personally to say it out loud was really, really hard for a long time. It was, there was a lot of fear. And I worked on that with my shadow work and my tarot and sitting in meditation and figuring out what really, you know, what things are really important to me. And as I did things little by little, And I recommend to anyone, especially coming from the church, you do have to go with baby steps because you can, the church can leave you traumatized, not all churches, not all religions, but it can. And I definitely had and still do have some religious trauma there. And I had to take baby steps to, you know, try not to re-traumatize myself by going too far, too fast. And whilst I said it did crack me open when I got to Louisiana, I think that there was, there's a connection with me and potentially a past life or two there. That's Mm -hmm. uh, another story for another day, but that was the beginning. It took about, I'd say seven years to get to the real dark night of the soul from that point. And that was roughly around my Saturn return as well, which Mm -hmm. is between 27 to 29 years. Usually 29 and a half is sort of the average. uh, If anyone who's into astrology understands that, And my Saturn is in my 12th house of spirituality and it's also in Capricorn. So I had a major career change. I was destined to be a builder. I was in the construction industry, totally different vibe to where I am now. And yeah, I did a full 180 and went to what I'm doing now, which is a professional witch and tarot reader and astrologer. So it was a complete shift and that was really tough. That was around about the birth of my daughter there was a lot of other things in healing that I had to go through it was a really horrible two years there was mental health issues within there as well with postpartum depression so I really had to heal myself and heal a lot of that childhood trauma from within the church and the way that I was parented because it doesn't gel with how I am now and the person that I believe I am to be but I've gone through that. I did have a lot of health professionals along the way. Uh, that was fantastic. Thank- thankfully, I had them and my husband as well, a big support. And I actually think a lot of my spirituality now was what helped me to heal and got me through that. My meditation practice, uh, having developing a relationship with my spirit guides and my ancestors, 
all of these things and harnessing that power that I have and realizing, hey, I'm helping people. Hey, I'm doing something here. I'm making an actual difference. And this actually feels really good. This doesn't feel like work. It, I don't feel like I work a day at all at the moment. I would do it for free. Like that's how it feels. It's so exciting for me. So yeah. it feels like I'm on the right path. Things feel easy, mm. but it wasn't that easy to get here. <laughs> You do seem though, you know, even though I've met you for 20 minutes, you do seem as though you're a resilient character. Like you have a lot of resilience within yourself and a lot of drive. And, you know, you seem like somebody who's really invested in their own personal development. So it would imagine, I would imagine that when you're going through these challenges, you still, the way that you tell the story, you still seem to have the wherewithal to know the things that you needed to put in place, asking for help or taking these baby steps or were you trying to run before you walked or did were you taking baby steps you just knew intuitively that that was what you needed to do I think a lot of it was intuitively I knew what was necessary and what would have been too far and pushing me too far in terms of coming out of the broom closet and all of that I've never actually felt I did that too quickly what did help was we did move my husband's in the military we did move over to western australia and that was really when i said you know what there's no one here that knows me i can be whoever i want which is what the draw to travel was previously as well i didn't have all this hang up people knowing i was in the church or this or any of that so suddenly it was like a fresh beginning so that really really helped and i met these people that didn't judge me for who i was in this new version of me and i could present the way that i wanted to i dyed my hair bright pink that was like oh my goodness you can't have unnatural hairs oh god would just never forgive you for that so suddenly I could do these things and it felt really good and so that helped and now coming back to Victoria and being back around all these people it's like you know what I've lived this way for a little while now and it's fine if you're bothered by it that's on you so that's that that's you know maturity thing as well yeah you can't do that as a teenager the the opinions of your friends are way too important so that comes with time and I'm really really grateful to be in my 30s now it's a really really nice age (laughs) yeah I agree um so you know I guess what I'm thinking about the the term witch like for you is it a label is it a title is it a way of being I mean, can you be a witch without calling yourself a witch? Can you be a witch? Can you call yourself a witch without being, you know, practicing spells and things like that? What are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, so I have two thoughts. So there's basically, there's the title witch and there's witchcraft. You can't do witchcraft if you don't practice witchcraft. It is a practice. So that is something you have to physically do. Uh, Anyone can practice witchcraft and not actually be a witch or not feel comfortable with the term witch. Uh, I mean, growing up again in the Pentecostal church, we were taught that all Catholicism was witchcraft. So there's, you know, there's lots of different ways you can term that. What is actual witchcraft? It's usually something that's going to cause a change. That's the crux of it. So whether it's, you know, lighting a candle for someone that's going to send some positive vibes out to them, whether it's a really big ceremonial magic where you are communing with the spirits and getting them to do your bidding, whatever level you're at on that sliding spectrum scale is going to depend on your own practice, but it's all giving change. It's all trying to make something happen or tilt the scales in your favor. So that's the witchcraft side of things. Witch itself, you could call yourself a witch 
and not practice witchcraft. And that might not be a popular opinion in the witch community, but I think witch as a word has a lot of power. I personally believe it means someone who is aware of their own power and is taking back and reclaiming this word that was used as a slur for so long. Uh, And it was really uncomfortable for me to use it at first. It was a little bit hard to say. But now it's totally fine and it's almost like I don't recognise who that person was anymore because it feels so natural now. Uh, So you can use it if you you just like things that look a little bit witchy. You know, that's fine. I think that's totally fine if it gels with you. Uh, But other people say you have to be practising witchcraft to be calling yourself a witch, which itself is gender neutral. You can be a male witch, you can be a female witch, you can be a non-binary witch. It's totally fine. So witch is all-encompassing and it's really just someone that takes control of their own power. They're not looking to another source like the church to make their decisions or tell them what to do or what to believe. They're finding that out for themselves. Yeah, that's so beautifully well said. And I know right now there sort of seems to be a big influx of a lot of, uh, you know, baby witches that are really kind of making themselves known on social media and things like this. Is this a trend, do you think? Or are these, you know, young people coming into their power earlier on? They don't have to go through all this BS that maybe you and I had to go through to figure it out. I think the internet is we you know it's the the effect the internet has had on our culture is crazy on our spirituality it's it's yeah. amazing yeah. and back in you know when i grew up in the 90s you couldn't access witchcraft information and especially if you're in the church or if there's people in the united states they might have been in the bible belt and they might still have a little bit of trouble with access but you couldn't find the books that you have now and the books that were out there might have been obscure they might have been difficult to read uh, there weren't ways to network with other people or see people that were witches it just wasn't as visible people didn't mm-hmm. see it as an option so now we see so much more and so it becomes an option and similar to you could relate it to we never used to see women in business and now there is because we've seen it we have people to aspire to we can see that the path has been paved ahead of us so that's how I see it it's purely accessibility and people are aware that it's something you can do and they're falling into it that way in the past I think people would have done a lot of these things without knowing what it was or without having some of the parameters or the guidelines. Or if they were, they would have been going the traditional Wiccan route and being initiated into a coven. That doesn't feel right for everybody. So they might have thought, well, that's not quite for me, but I'm still sort of witchy and I don't really know where I fit. Now there's just so many different terms you can fall under, so many different ways that you can do it. And pretty much all of them are okay. So, you know, there's a few caveats there, but most of them are pretty good. You don't have to follow a traditional path if that's not for you. Yeah, I kind of love that. And I think that, you know, much like probably you can relate in your story that we all find our own path by going through and navigating and trying things out and seeing what, what works and what doesn't work and picking and choosing different parts of things. So I think it's so cool right now, you know, uh, living in a world where there's a lot of focus and a lot of emphasis on individuality and just being being who you are. I think it's pretty awesome. If somebody is a baby witch and they're listening to the program or if they are a new witch or they're interested in finding out more, you know, what are some sort of essential things that you think that they need to do to kind of get started? Meditation was something that you <laughs> practice. I know that you mentioned it earlier on. Is that something that you do on a regular basis? Is that a way that you sort of recommend people kind of start to step into their power? 
It is. I do the meditation, A, for my mental health, because it makes a big difference in my life. Yeah. Uh, B, I do that to connect with source energy, to open up my psychic senses. If you want to develop your psychic senses, it is the number one thing you can do is to meditate. However, that being said, a lot of people struggle with meditation. I have a lot of people who might be neurodivergent that really really struggle to meditate so I do actually have a a YouTube video on that because it was such a common question and what I've termed it and I don't even know if it's a real term in the world but it's what I call it I call it inactive and active meditation inactive meditation is when you sit down put your hands on your knees however you sit and meditate right that's what we all think of and try and clear the mind active meditation is when you do something so that might be adult coloring in books or it might be pottery and that's actually how I started getting my brain ready to meditate because it's a hard thing to just jump into a meditation practice it's not that easy so pottery for me was really grounding and it gave my hands something to do whilst my mind almost emptied itself a little bit uh people might do gardening they might do painting I was also painting so for me during my therapy with postpartum depression and anxiety that was the grounding part of the pottery and doing something with my hands clearing my mind and then suddenly I was like oh actually I think I could sit down and actually think now without the intrusive thoughts that I was getting and it really really helped me to take control back of my mind is how I feel it and my body and connect with my body and so for me it was fantastic I think it's a benefit to anyone if they can do it and I usually recommend at least three times a week for 20 minutes each time but start at one minute that's all you can do uh however if they're wanting to get into witchcraft meditation is not necessary it's going to be great but it's not necessary so usually what i say is research read absorb learn watch youtube listen to podcasts just take on as much as you can and what you'll hear is some things that you go yeah i want to try that that sounds so much fun other things you're like oh do I have to do that and the advice there is to take what resonates and leave the rest your practice is your own unless you want to follow a traditional path which might be Wicca or any of the other traditional forms of witchcraft you can be initiated into there are many different forms out there if you want to go that path there are rules and there are ways to do that Uh, you might attend a few outer court sessions which is basically you're finding a coven attending some of their sessions with them seeing how it feels if you guys are a fit you're testing each other out Uh, but that can be a lengthy process as well to get initiated into a coven so for me it's not possible I'm a military family I move too frequently and it's not something I've been drawn to in that regard Uh, so I find my coven online with my my like-minded peoples and that gives me the community vibe that I need as well but yes read lots of books and just try things don't be afraid a lot of new witches get really afraid and we get this from the church and unfortunately it has infiltrated the whole community that we think as soon as you do something oh there's going to be a bad spirit or there's going to be a negative vibe or something's happening in the house and you know I have a, a friend recently who her husband's a little bit open and she said oh something's happening in the house like something fell off the shelf and firstly always look at the mundane over magical so you're going to look at what could have actually happened you know if we were absolutely atheists and didn't believe in anything what could it be right my rule of thumb is if it happens three times something's going on if it's just once maybe twice no, I don't know maybe it's just the heater was on really high and it something expanded and it moved you know there's other reasons behind it but if it happens a few times it doesn't mean it's going to be a bad spirit in your house and you're haunted it might be an ancestor saying 
oh my gosh, they're actually opening up now. They're going to be able to hear me. Hello, hello, trying to get your attention. Not all of our ancestors are, you know, demure and quiet. Some of them are big and brash and want to get, you know, get loud and get in your face. So you can just simply say aloud, hey, that's a bit too loud for me. That's a bit too much. I'm a little scared. If you want to connect with me, do it in my dreams or do it when I'm meditating or work on your shielding so that you're not trying to barrage in at all hours of the night. So shielding, grounding, cleansing, they're your basics to get down pat. And once you've sort of done that, keep researching, keep trying, trial and error. You're not going to do anything that's really, really bad. Yeah, I think that's what it is, isn't it? It's a lot of fear. It's about, oh, I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm going to do it the right way. And so I better just do mm-hmm. nothing at all. Yeah, who cares if you get it wrong? I've gotten yeah. things wrong and I write everything down. I keep everything in a little journal. Mm-hmm. I, I say a little journal. There's now about six of them, but I'll write consistently. So if I try a new spell for, or if I make one up, I'll try it time and time again. And if it works, fantastic. If it's not working and I'm not seeing any results and I'm like, oh, I'm, that's not working. Cross that one out. Don't do that one again. Um, I read other people's ones and get inspiration from them and think, oh, it doesn't quite feel right. I'm going to switch it up and do this and then see how it goes as well. So there's lots of different things you can do and just trial and error is going to help. What are some of your favorite spells to do? And uh, can you give me an example of one that has worked, but you haven't had to scratch out and start again or anything? (laughs) (laughs) I've got a few. I actually did one tonight, um, which is my daughter has requested my healing soup recipe. So I do a little bit of kitchen witchery. So it's basically, you just make whatever soup you want to make I usually just put as much garlic and onion as I can fit into it along with whatever other vegetables we have and then I have just a little uh, go-to incantation which is basically saying uh, soup for the body soup for the soul to lift our spirits that's the goal Uh, so putting that into it as I go clockwise around it there's a little bit more to it but um, it is a really personal one so but stirring it you know a couple of times in a clockwise manner to sort of bring that in so clockwise is usually bringing it in anti-clockwise is sending things out and then we you know all eat the soup and that's going to either lift the spirits if we're feeling a little bit down it's going to help the body if we're fighting anything off so and she requests that every now and then if she feels we need a bit of a mood lift so we've done that time and time again and we always notice a shift afterwards you could say that that is purely you know uh, the the placebo effect but if that's all it is who cares it's working (laughs) so That one is one of my favorites. And usually my go-to is candle magic that I, I don't know, I have a soft spot for candles and candle magic. I and love so many different ways so to get it. <laughs> I have a candle burning here <laughs> in a non-pyro way. Yeah, I've got one behind me. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to yeah, me about so candle I magic. I do absolutely Absolutely love candle magic. And there's so many different ways that you can do it. Uh, You can just use a standard small candle. Uh, You can use a birthday candle. We all do that every year on our birthday, make a wish, blow out the candle. That's a little bit of magic. Uh, But I like to use uh, what's called a seven-day candle or a fixing candle. Um, It's basically the long, tall glass candle, if you've seen those ones. Yes. Uh, now those ones you can get them in a variety of colors you can get lots of different labels on them if you're working with a deity or a spirit you can basically invoke them with this candle and they usually burn for about seven days non-stop I don't let them burn when I'm sleeping or out of the house so I'll, I'll snuff them and then light them again but I've done some really really good ones for success and prosperity with those so I usually fix them and fixing them means you're basically fixing it with your intent. So I'll put, uh, if it's a prosperity one, I'll create my own prosperity oil and you basically 
use a skewer and go right down into the candle. And if you're doing prosperity, you might do it seven times. If you're doing success, it might be three times, little holes in there. Fill it with your oil, not too much because we don't want to start a massive fire, just <laughs> a little bit. And, um, then light it up. And I usually surround it with a little crystal grid as well. I might say something over it, pray my energy over it and let it be. And basically allowing it as the candle burns down, you're allowing that intent to manifest out into the universe. And I find candle spells can be really, really fast. Whereas things like sleep spells, they take a little bit, not sleep spells, spell jars, which I was about to say, for example, a sleep spell in a spell jar that can take a little bit longer to build up the energy. And then, you know, you might keep that somewhere contained next to your bed or something like that. I was wondering with candle magic, do you use a lighter or do you use matches? Personally, I use matches. I have used candles, uh, lighters, but the candles, I can find it really hard to get my hand into them. Yeah, to light them. Like so, burning your thumb while you're trying to be prosperous. Yeah. prosperous. <laughs> yeah. So um, I often use skewers as well. So I might light um, with one candle that's already lit, use a skewer from that to light another one or to light something else to get really deep into the longer candles. So it sort of just depends, but usually matches. And I always lose lighters anyway. So <laughs> how has adding magic into your life made your life better or made your life more interesting or exciting? How would you sort of label it if you had to put a, put a term on it? I feel more powerful, mm. more in control. So a lot of the time, I guess, especially in my teenage years, if something happened, I would feel really powerless. Like, oh, I guess that's how it is then. Mm. And that could be a mindset thing. That could be an age thing. But now it's like, well, I can do something about that. You know, I, and then when I do it, I've done everything I can. And I'm, I feel good about that because I know I've done everything that I can. You know, I've taken an action step. I've done something. I've put my energy somewhere. So that that really helps. Um, but it also, it just makes life more magical. I have two kids. My daughter loves all my witchy stuff. She, It's beautiful to see her blossoming into this without the fear that I grew up in. And I often think, gosh, how would my life have been different if I hadn't have grown up in that oppressive sort of vibe? And, you know, I used to go into, there was a fairy shop in the local shops nearby. And I remember going in there and just looking at the crystals that they had and thinking this was the most beautiful, magical thing in the world. And my mother wouldn't let me touch them because they had demons attached to them. Like it was, yeah. they're pretty rocks, you know, <laughs> what yeah. kid doesn't love pretty rocks. Yeah. So my daughter has so many crystals and thankfully my mother now, she comes to me for tarot readings. She's got crystals of her own. So <laughs> things have changed for the better, thankfully. Uh, my father doesn't really want to hear about my business whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I respect that. I don't tell him too much because he doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. But I haven't hidden it from him. So that feels like I'm still being authentic. How important is surrender, do you think, in witchcraft and you know, maybe in your spiritual, spiritual journey as well. It's very important. Absolutely. In manifesting in magic, which is spicy manifesting, uh, you've got to let go of, yeah, <laughs> you've that. got to let go of wanting to control the outcome. Because if you, if you're trying to manifest something, or if you're trying to bring about, you know, a new job, right. And you maybe make a job candle, uh, or you're carrying around some bay leaf in your shoe and 
do you really want this job to happen? And all you're thinking about is when's this going to work? When's this magic going to work? I've been manifesting. It's not working. When's it going to, that's you stopping it. That's you. You're not surrendering it to the universe to allow it to happen. You're getting in front of it and you're stopping that energy. So mm-hmm. any of that hard energy is really, really not going to work for you. It needs to be. I've done my candle. Now sit back and wait. Let the universe do its thing. And if it happens, and it's for my highest good, it will, and it'll be easy. And if it doesn't, it wasn't for me. And it, yeah. it just lets you let go a little bit, which is really, really good. The same with any psychic work as well. So if you are uh, doing mediumship or psychic development, you need to surrender to open yourself up to allow those things to come in, but also not judge yourself for what comes through. Because a lot of people, and when, I, when I'm teaching people how to develop themselves psychically, oh, no, I'm not going to say that because that would be silly or this came through, but I'm not going to tell you because I know that's not appropriate or that's not, you know, something that you're doing. And we presume things and we get in our mind gets in front of the information that we're getting, which then blocks us as well. So we really need to allow what's coming in to come in and trust it. And when you trust it and surrender it and, you know, just say, oh, I'm getting an orange bicycle. If that means something to you, take it. If it doesn't, that's fine. Rather than, oh, that sounds weird, I'll just won't say it. That orange bicycle could mean something that is, you know, wildly important to the person that you're giving that information to. So you need to trust, surrender, let go of your own fears of being wrong. Well said. So one of the ways that you can also help yourself to deliver this information is also having, I guess, a backup, which is like a divination tool such as, you know, tarot cards, like you talk about. Um, but also, let's get into the subject now, Tassiomancy. I will quickly just tell you about why mm-hmm. I wanted to pursue this, because this is one of the reasons why I really wanted you on the show today was to talk about this subject. Because in my family, uh, I don't know whether or not you did this, considering your, your background, but maybe. But remember, I was always really interested in whether or not there were any psychics or witches or anybody like that in the family, you know? So I remember asking my grandmother, my late grandmother, about her mother. I said, was your mother ever into any of this sort of stuff? She goes, oh, well, my mother used to read tea leaves, but I always just thought it was fake. (laughs) And I thought, okay, probably wasn't fake at all, but fair enough, right? And um, and so I was always sort of fascinated by it and have never actually tried it myself. And it's something I'm really interested in and exploring. So I wanted to talk to a professional like yourself to find out a little bit more about it. How does it work? How would you even get started? You mentioned that you were able to predict the birth of your daughter. So can you kind of talk to me a little bit about how you first got introduced to it? And is this something that everyone can do? (laughs) This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. So I believe anyone can, everyone is psychic and anyone can do divination. Not everyone has the natural gift for it. For some, they may have to work harder. And different forms of divination are going to call to different people and going to work differently. So, for example, I have a much harder time reading oracle cards than I do tarot. Tarot is so easy. I feel like I can do it in my sleep. But oracle cards, sometimes they stop me. I I don't offer them professionally because I don't feel confident enough to do that. There's just a shift there. Um, So you might find tea leaf reading really easy. You might find it really, really hard. 
but then you might find you know scrying things in a bowl of water or crystal ball gazing really easy so it's going to just you're just going to have to find what works for you in terms of divination but I do find with these free flowing forms of divination which are things like any form of scrying so that might be fire scrying trying to see images in the flame uh caromancy that's uh finding wax images left over after your candle has burnt or if you're pouring molten wax into water and letting it solidify um, there's a Norwegian, I think Norwegian tradition that you can uh, pour tin into water and as it hardens, you can read the tin as well. So there's lots of different ways that people do these forms of divination. So I actually have cool. a psychic medium friend and he can read carpet. It sounds crazy, but he can go into someone's house and see images in the carpet. You know how if you push it one way or the other way and it, it makes yeah. patterns. Or when you're vacuuming, you can see it get backwards and forwards. So he can walk in and, and start divining things on someone's carpet, which sounds so bizarre. But, you know, you might see a tile on a wall and the tile has a gradient in it and you can start to see images. Getting into that headspace where you soften the gaze and you get out of your head and you go, oh, can I see any, you know, how many dog faces can I see in this, you know, tree in front of me or this cloud up here? That area of playfulness, that's when those things start to come through and suddenly you go, oh, I can see something. I wonder what that could mean. And when you're looking at these symbols, there's two different forms of symbolism that come through. There is universal symbolism, and that is things like if you see a butterfly, we all know a butterfly means change and transformation. You know, you're not going to be a divination expert to know that, all right? That's universal symbolism. We have universal symbolism. If we saw a cross, like the Christian cross, you're going to think of the Christian cross, right? And X, you're going to think either treasure or you're going to think stop or no. So there's, you know, a circle. If you see a circle, that might mean, you know, uh, perfection, completion, a wedding. So there's these universal symbols that everybody's going to pick up on, right? If you see a tortoise, that might be slow change, right? Slow movement forward. So we all know these things. And if you're not really sure, if you see a symbol and think, oh my goodness, what is that? You can sit with it. You can meditate on it. You can come back to it later. You can look it up on Google. There is, you know, tea leaf reading uh, websites. There is dream symbolism. I actually find dream symbolism websites and dictionaries much more accurate personally for finding out the, the meaning behind a symbol. Um, so that's the universal symbolism. Then you have personal symbolism. Okay, so that's where you might see a rose and everyone else thinks, oh, a rose is love. And you think, oh, no, I saw a rose on the day that my grandfather died. And to me, that means death. Right? <laughs> so that's a personal symbolism. And yeah. so for you, every time you see a rose in a cup, you might go, oh, something's going to die. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's going to be your personal symbol that you then use. I have a personal tarot card in one of my decks. It's the Nine of Swords, and typically the Nine of Swords is a card of sleeplessness, insomnia, bad dreams, that sort of thing. But when it comes up in my Shadowscapes deck, that is my mediumship card. So if I'm doing a reading for someone and that comes through, I'm like, hey, did you know you're a medium? Did you know that that's a skill you have? So that for me is my personal card. No one else is going to have that, that meaning or that reason to it. 
but I have built up that almost relationship with that card now that whenever it pops out, I know and I trust that that is the meaning for it. So you'll have that when you do any form of divination and especially in the cup, you will see certain things, they'll mean something to you that means something different to somebody else. You just got to get familiar with those symbols and your guides will start to bring them through once you fasten onto them. You know, oh, I see this one quite a lot and it always means this and they're going to keep coming back. Same with psychic work. Your guides can give you a symbol that you might see clairvoyantly or a word you might hear and suddenly that's going to start meaning things. When I'm doing mediumship development, I've set it up with my guides. If the person is standing one step behind them, it's a parent. Two steps behind it, it's a grandparent. Right? So setting up these little symbols and little things so that, you know, hey, guides, when you bring me this information, this is how you present it so I can interpret it better. Yeah, they'll, they'll help you. They'll work with you. Mm, that's so cool. And, you know, you're talking about how you write everything down. So that would also help with your recall, wouldn't it, where you'd start to go, okay, this is the way, like, do you sort of say, this is the way that I need these signs to come to me, or I'm getting this sign, and then it's turning into this, I'm going to write that down, and I'm going to remember that that's the message. Yeah, and sometimes if I'm, you know, if I get some information, and I might relay that, especially with the medium, mediumship, so I'm developing that, it's not a skill that I I'm not, it's not a service that I provide to people, I'm still in development. So I sit in a development circle once a week. And I was getting a few things where I'm like, this isn't accurate. There's one, you know, 80% accurate. And this one thing, can't get the names right. I just, the name is not coming through right. So I'm having to work with my guides in meditation to be like, hey, how can we get this through more accurately? What do we need to work on here? What symbols can we give for different letters or names or styles of sounds and that sort of thing? So, you know, it's writing it down is good and it's great for recall, but it's also good when you get it wrong to work on it. Mm, that's true and I guess whenever we have challenges in life those are opportunities for us to grow a little bit more <laughs> yay mm -hmm. yeah and then you know what you did wrong as well so now I go ah oh, that's not what you meant oh, oh I didn't get that part right okay we'll have to work yes. on that so if you if you don't say it if you don't put it down if you don't think about it you're not going to know where you went wrong and you're not going to improve Mm -hmm. When you've read tea leaves before, do you sort of have a loose tea and then drink it? And then when the, the granules are at the bottom, you just look in and sort of soften your gaze and use it as a bit of anchor to get those messages? Or do you flip it over and put it on, on a saucer and let it sit? Or do you have a certain practice that, that you do? And is that your own practice or is that sort of the way that it's been done? So two answers to your question. I used to do it the very traditional way. Now I do it a less traditional, faster and less inconvenient way. <laughs> so <laughs> what I what I did when I was starting, I did it by the book, right? I wanted to do it exactly as everyone said that you had to do it. So what I would do is I would make it with loose leaf tea in the cup. So I would put um, you know, my loose leaf tea in my big mug. You want to have a mug that is circular. So you can't have the traditional mugs that we all use that are quite long and narrow with a square or flat bottom you need a rounded cup okay um so I had that specific one and I still use that specific cup only for tea leaf reading I do not drink normal tea out of it it's only for tea leaf reading so it's almost like a sacred cup it's good to have sacred tools and things that you consecrate for a specific use so I've got that and what I would do is put the tea leaf tea leaves in there and then drink it uh, now unfortunately 
that's not very nice to drink because you can end up with tea leaves in your teeth, uh, depending on the tea that you use. I would often use a black tea. Sometimes some types of tea would drop to the bottom. Some wouldn't. Uh, if you ever use a herbal tea, then it all floats on the top. All the flowers and everything are very light. So, yeah, you have to use your teeth as a filter. It's not very nice. And I thought there's got to be another way, right? There's got to be another way. So I put up with that for a while because I thought that was traditional. You you know, you can go in with a question when you're doing tea leaf reading or you can go in open-ended. Uh, but I did have little rules, which is I would only drink holding my left uh, holding it in my left hand, which is my non-dominant hand. That's your receiving hand. So I would drink the tea using my left hand. I had all the tea leaves in there. And then I would only really use my left hand to um, flip it over onto the saucer, turn it three times, tap on the bottom three times, and then flip it over. Now, what I do this these days is I actually make my tea in a teapot. I use an infuser or a strainer and I keep the tea leaves in there and I enjoy my tea like normal. And I leave probably a good sip or so at the bottom, right? A good amount of liquid in the bottom. Once I've finished enjoying my tea and enjoying it, right? You want to put that enjoyment in there. You don't want to be sitting there going, oh, I got something in my tea. Oh, this isn't very comfortable, right? It's not a good energy either. So enjoy my tea relax just allow to get into that lovely divination zone and then at the very end I've got a little bit of liquid in the bottom I'll take a scoop so usually one teaspoon of those leaves out of the infuser pop them in the bottom there swirl it three times with my left hand and that's traditional I don't think you need to do it but it's now it's a ritual right it's become a ritual and there is a lot of power in ritual so uh, do that swirl it three times pop the saucer on top flip it over and then spin it three times. Now that can be a little grating on the ears, depending on the teacup that you use. Again, I'll only use my left hand and I do it three times. And you want to end with the handle of the cup facing towards your heart. Then tap it on the bottom three times. Really, that's not anything special. That's just getting the last few drips out and any tea leaves that weren't properly secured. Then you're going to flip it over and again, face that handle towards your heart soften your gaze and look into your teacup and that's when you start looking for symbols that's so cool that's so i love that a lot thank you so much i'm going to try that myself and see how it goes so thank you for sharing that uh, one of the things that you just mentioned there and i know we're nearing the end of our hour together but you talked about the importance of ritual and you also talked about the importance of you know maybe having a special teacup if you're going to use it to uh, as a divination tool and such. So what are some of the essential items or the essential practices that, that you do that you can't live without? In my practice as a whole? <clears throat> sure. Gosh, there is, so like tea leaf reading, I love doing. It's not something that I would say is essential to my practice or to my spirituality. It's good fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always, it always feels lighthearted. And I do have this just affinity for tea. I do love tea. I think knowing the herbs and, and plants that I want to use to help heal and to use uh, to help with my family, that sort of thing, that's something that's quite essential to me. I think that's really important, knowing how to heal and to help our bodies and our spirit to do what it needs to do. And having my, my ancestor altar, that is very important. And having special things there. So uh, I have, you know, a special vase that I have that holds the flowers on that altar. 
I have special items that related to those family members and photographs and, you know, making sure to always light a candle on special times, like the, when they passed away or Mother's Day or those sorts of things, you know, if it's relevant to those, those ancestors. So that's really special. And that's a practice that I'm, you know, passing on to my children and they'll come in and say, oh, I want to give this to the ancestors. They've got a pretty flower that they've found. Or can we light a candle for, you know, Paul Paul, which is great grandmother in uh, Chinese or grandmother in Chinese. So, you know, they want to get involved with that as well. And I think that's really, really special. And it's it's sacred. It feels really sacred. Uh, so that's something I don't think I could live without in my practice. Uh, you know, there, there's other things. A lot of them, there's tools, but you don't need tools. You know, there's meditation. And again, you go through times. I had a baby at the start of the year. I didn't meditate for a good six months. There was I did not have time. I did not have the mental capacity. I didn't have the spoons. <laughs> You know, I had a tiny baby and a lot of breastfeeding problems. So there are things that you you can and can't live without. And it's going to change dependent on the person. Uh, But I just think making sure you've got at least something sacred, something that you hold dear, uh, that makes it all worth it, if that makes sense. And I do like to just check in, even if it's not meditating, just check in, uh, I guess, with source energy, universal energy, God, goddess, whatever you want to call it. Just check in with that higher power at least once a day, just a little uh, touch to the heart and close my eyes for even just a couple of seconds. And I think that's really powerful. I think so too. And that's actually just a form of self-care as well. So if our listener at home is like, yeah, I don't have time for any of this stuff, taking a moment, touching your heart and connecting with self. And that one moment is, is a perfect way to start. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Hannah. I've learned a lot. Really, you're just so knowledgeable. It's been fabulous talking to you. Uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to bring up and how can people get a hold of you as well? Uh, I think we, we had we covered a good amount of topics, which was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, not a lot that we didn't um, cover, but I will say if you are looking into divination, it can be helpful to know a bit more about your uh, birth chart, for example. So I am a Virgo. That's my sun sign. I have quite a few planets in Virgo, which I think is why I'm so drawn to the tarot, because it has a specific organized structure to it, right? It's a system, which Virgos love. If you have Capricorn in your sign, maybe even Taurus a little bit, that could be something that you really uh, relate well with when it comes to divination. Pisces, they're really great at things like water scrying, okay? They're really good at that. Uh, if your Leo is, you know, a big part in your birth chart, and we're not just talking sun signs or star signs, also rising sign and, you know, moon sign, that sort of thing. Look at all of them. Uh, so my moon sign is in Scorpio. I have a black obsidian scrying mirror. So cool, wow. really badass. And so that is something that I think is really Scorpio energy. And so I sort of lean into that. Uh, and then Aquarius is my rising sign, which is very linked to astrology. And you can use astrology for divination. You can do orary charts, which is people come to you for a question. You throw a chart for that question and you can find lost items. You can do all sorts of things with astrology as well. So look at your birth chart, see what you have there, and then try the things that might relate into those. And that could give you, you know, a really good indication of what you might be good at or at least interested in. Yeah. Um, and in terms of finding me, so you can find me pretty much everywhere online. I'm quite prolific. So I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, all of those are suburban witchery, except for Twitter, which is Hannah the SW. They put a limit on how many characters you can use. Um, then I'm also on YouTube as Suburban Witchery. 
I've got a Patreon, I've got a Pinterest, I've got a blog, suburbanwoodtree.com, and that's where you'll find my shop as well for astrology reports, tarot readings, and guidance calls as well. So I do, uh, it's not just a tarot reading in terms of my video calls, but it's a guidance. So we can maybe talk about someone else's spiritual practice and you know, what their psychic development issues are, and I'll help them through that and you know, book recommendations, whatever they need to get on their path and into alignment. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I will put a link to all of that in the show notes because I know there are, there seems to be um, some fake accounts that are happening all over the place right now. So just making sure that you are, you know, following the real Hannah, the real suburban witch. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah. And with that as well, make sure when you're looking up someone's Instagram or TikTok, there's a few fake accounts on most of the platforms, but particularly bad on Instagram and TikTok at the moment. Have a look at how long has that account been active so has it been only recent or has it been active for a year or two usually longer is less likely to be a scam account look at the content and engagement on those posts are people commenting are they responding to the comments you know does this uh, account does it reach out to you and offer a reading that's a massive red flag no ethical reader no professional reader is going to reach out fire a DM to say, hey, I'd like to do a reading for you or my spirits have guided me to you for a reading, right? That's not okay and that's not going to happen. So that's a big red flag. Report, block and let the original account that they're impersonating, let them know. Perfect. Thank you so much, sister. And come back anytime, please. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. I've had a blast. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.